This podcast is brought to you by Brunner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbrunner.com and take your skills to the next level. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. Professional snowboarder, owner of Luxury Resorts, passionate activist, seasoned entrepreneur. Just a few of the careers my guest has had before her latest venture, part owner of what's being called the world's first midlife wisdom school. Christine Sperber is the co-founder and chief experience officer of the Modern Elder Academy in Baja. Christine, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for having me, Liz. The work that you all are doing at the Modern Elder Academy is so important, and I know you love it, and I love the work that you guys are doing, but your journey to the MEA is anything but ordinary. Your first career professional path was snowboarding. Now, I know from your bio, you grew up in New Jersey. I don't think of New Jersey as snowboarding country, (laughs) but you have said that falling in love with snowboarding changed your life. How so, and where did that passion for this sport come from? Growing up in New Jersey, you know, skiing is something that we did occasionally as a family, certainly aspirational. And skiing is not something, at least for me, that could be done intermittently and be done well. So it was in that intermediate rut for ever. And then I was on a ski trip up at Sugarloaf during college, and these three snowboarders went by. I think I was sitting on the side of the run, and three of them went by kind of in a row, And they all just did this jump off of this kind of roller, like a little knoll. And the freedom and the grace, I just thought, I have to do that. You were hooked. (laughs) I was I was hooked from just seeing these these three guys changed my life right then. I, I thought I have to be a snowboarder. And I ended up finishing that next semester of school and then moving to Colorado in uh I guess it was 1989 that I moved to Colorado and started snowboarding. So, Christine, you you end up going into the professional snowboarding. This is in the early 90s. It's really a time when the culture of snowboarding, from my understanding, was just completely exploding. You competed in the World Cup halfpipe. How does one turn snowboarding into a professional career, especially back then when it was kind of so new? Foundationally, it's the same sport as it is today, but functionally, I mean, what we were doing then versus what the women are doing today is such, uh, the progress is absolutely mind-blowing. So at this point in time, I think in order to be a pro snowboarder, you probably getting started as a toddler, you're going through academies. I was at a moment in time where one could learn to snowboard at 19 and become a pro snowboarder. So as you said, a a moment in culture, a moment in time, and a moment in history that allowed that. And it's really funny to hear it called professional snowboarder because (laughs) we were were not all that professional. There were certainly (laughs) perks. It was in the time before social media. We weren't owning our own brands. We were just a bunch of kids who got unbelievably paid 
to ride snowboards and travel around the world kind of as a mobile circus. It was, I will be forever grateful Mm -hmm. that I got to do that in my life. I found an old article in some snowboarding magazine that was from 1997 that asked you this question. If you didn't snowboard, what would you be doing right now? Do you remember your answer? I have no idea. I can't believe you have to share this with me. Okay, this was your answer. Wall Street, baby. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, there weren't a lot of women on Wall Street, I don't think, back in 1997. And I imagine the same was true of snowboarding. Were there a lot of women in that sport back then when you were kind of getting into it? You know what? There actually were. And I think one of the proudest moments when I think about nascent culture of snowboarding is when the bigger events started to show up and and want to be part of putting on snowboard contests, Mm -hmm. that there was a meeting. I think it was X Games. Okay. And in a rider meeting, the men fought for the women to have an equal purse because that had been our culture to that point. The U.S. Open, um, which was put on by Burton, had always had an equal purse, but it was the the male athlete saying, this is how snowboarding works. We've always had an equal purse. We fall equally hard. The women should should share equally. Kudos to them back then. That's amazing. I mean, I, I'm not going to say snowboarding always got the, the, the those love. kinds of arguments. <laughs> I do remember that particular proud moment. You stay in the sport. You're involved in it for something like 15 years. You're running camps. You're managing other pro athletes. You're creating events. But there were a couple of pivotal moments that you have said rocked you, and they took you off that path. What happened? I moved into the the business side from being an athlete. And again, I think I always want to recognize that being a pro snowboarder in that time was different than it is now and much, much less demanding. And the door was was wider open in many ways. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to stay in the business of snowboarding. I loved the culture mm-hmm. of snowboarding. So when the first option to get involved more on the business side presented itself, and that was to work on the like the executive teams of the camp where I was a coach, um, High Cascade Snowboard Camp, which is still around today. And in my opinion, is the best snowboard camp in the world. Mm-hmm. When the opportunity to, to join in happened, you know, when that door opened, I said, absolutely, yes. As you said, I worked through many different stages in the snowboard industry. And eventually, I just felt like I wanted to be more rooted in community. It's a very mobile world. You're chasing snow, going to events, and I was ready to be in one place. Eventually, though, a dear friend of mine, dear friend of many of us in snowboarding, Krista Moreau, was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, and I was with her through much of that journey. Hmm. You know, I think we all have those inflection points that make us think we won't be here forever and Mm -hmm. we want to choose really wisely with the time that we do have. Love the people that we love the best that we can. Do work that makes us proud in that time, find our moments of joy and serve. And, you know, that was a a big focus for me. It was a a real chance to pay attention. Well, shortly after that, you and your then boyfriend, now husband, went on a five-month sabbatical to Baja. And that changed everything because you launched and operated numerous boutique hotels. You turned a 12-room hotel into 29 rooms and you landed them on the Condé Nast hot list, which is pretty impressive. 
How does being a snowboarder carry over to operating a luxury beach resort? What skills did you discover within yourself that you were able to sort of transfer over to that next role? Operating camps on glaciers and operating luxury hotels on remote under-resourced beaches in Mexico, both require tenacity, (laughs) you know? It was just like, you just can't give up. Um, And I think maybe coming from lesser resourced organizations to Mexico was also helpful. I don't think anywhere in my work life have I ever been spoiled by resource. So I am resourceful. That first hotel we opened, it was really the first, and I, I want to be clear, I did not open it as my own hotel. I'm part of an operating team. I love I love the launching of projects. I love the constant problem solving of a launch. I get pretty bored in operations once things stabilize. Although <laughs> I'm also willing to explore if that is an old script that no longer serves me as I move into my mid-50s. I'm quite happy to see some of the younger players on our team stepping in with like so much energy and vigor and vim into some of the more demanding launch tasks. So I'm paying attention to that as well. Neil Donald Walsh has a quote that goes like this, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And you have said that your comfort zone is quote, the unknown and the new, and that you like to jump in and you trust that the net is going to appear. What advice do you have, though, for people to help get them out of that comfort zone? Because we get so stuck in our ways, especially as we get older. This is a great question and such a timely question, Liz, because I just finished spending a week with Stacey Peralta, who is now a filmmaker, documentarian, quite respected, but was a professional skateboarder. And at the kind of apex of his skateboard career, he moved into building a business. And then at the apex of his business, being the most successful skateboard company in the world and shaking the culture of skateboarding, assembling the most successful skateboard team that had ever existed to that point, he moved into filmmaking, right? And he did that in a way that wasn't super successful for about 10 years. So Stacy and I just co-facilitated a workshop last week in Baja around radical transitions. And Stacy is on the record that the best that we can do for ourselves is to put ourselves and remain and learn to be comfortable in what he calls the kook phase, where we're not good at a thing yet. Mm-hmm. We use different language at MEA to talk about this as, you know, we talk about the stages of a transition and how Transitions begin with an ending generally, and then we move into a messy middle. And then from there, we find the threads and move into flow. Stacy's work is around continuing to put yourself in that messy middle, to continue to play, to find the joy. We do a lot of work in a week at MEA around an invitation to be a beginner. Mm-hmm. Because for so many of us in midlife, we get to a place where We've been rewarded for being prepared. Our dignity becomes tied to knowing, to being a professional. It can be really scary to be a beginner. It's really a lot of fun when we can embrace that growth mindset and kind of get away from the idea that our dignity is tied up in being an expert because it constrains us. You are also really reframing what it means to be getting older. And you just talked about those messy years because there are points in life where Our jobs are changing, our family lives are different, our bodies seem to have a mind of their own sometimes. 
and you call them the messy years and messy life, but your mission there at Modern Elder Academy is to really, truly reframe that. And your website suggests that you're working with people who range in age from anywhere from 30 years old all the way, you know, 88, 90 years old, and they come from all walks of life. Tell me a little bit more about that experience. We go through like 13 to 18 transitions in an average adulthood. The messy middle is in the part of that transition where we we're betwixt and between. We're in that liminal state where we aren't where we had been and we're not quite to where we're going. Many people feel stuck in that stage. And this happens multiple times over an adult lifetime. So, you know, we believe if we can get good at developing a transitional intelligence, understanding that there are component parts to any transition and that we can get better at moving through those transitions, that it helps move through an adult life. And now that we have this extended lifespan and health span, there's for many of us, 40, 50 extra adult years. So what do we do with these bonus years? Basically the second adulthood. The other thing that I love is that you guys call it the wisdom school. And you're really helping people shift that mindset of the aging process and the transitions that people are going through. What kinds of offerings do you have that people can participate in? Originally, you know, our promise was around a midlife wisdom school. We thought that most of our guests would be between 45 and 65. And what we've learned over these last five and a half years of doing workshops, both in Baja and online, is that midlife has expanded. Again, as lifespan and health span have expanded, it's really now more of a marathon. 35 to 75, many social scientists agree, is our, our midlife. So again, it's rife with transitions, as you said, mm-hmm. situational, physical, hormonal, <laughs> job filled with transitions. But what's also not a match, and this is something that we talk about in our reframing of aging, is the personal journey of aging is not reflected in the societal journey of aging. There's a study done, a global study across so many cultures that is the U-curve of happiness. The outcome of this was the U-curve of happiness. Mm -hmm. At 47, and this has been proven, again, massive study, tons of data, we're at the bottom of the U-curve of happiness at 47 for all the reasons that you might expect if you think about a human lifespan. Sandwich generation, caring for children, for parents, maybe a job change, hormonal change, this little secret called perimenopause and menopause (laughs) that somehow... Everyone forgot to tell me about Mm -hmm. going to happen. So for all those reasons, here we are at the bottom of the curve of happiness. And then as a species, we continue to get happier, happier in our 50s than we are in our 40s, happier in our 60s than we are in our 50s, happier in our 70s than we are in our 80s. And for many cultures, even happier into our 80s. That's just not reflected Mm -hmm. in what we see in the media, in the stories that we're told. So we are on a mission to reframe the aging story because as a species, we're thriving as we age. I know you're very familiar with the work of Dr. Becca Levy, who's at Yale and in her research and her book, Breaking the Age Code. And she writes that adopting a positive mindset to aging can add nearly eight years to your life. That is pretty darn powerful. Sign me up, right? I'm all in. Oh my gosh. And to your point, we we are living longer. And if we can have that positive mental attitude, guess what? We can live even longer and hopefully happier and healthier as well. Yeah. And if you look at the other things that you have to do to add lifespan, well, gosh, changing your mind is 
pretty easy, the pretty low bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? you, know, you don't have to quit smoking. It's not exercise. Yeah. It's just adopting a positive mindset around aging. And all the evidence is there to support this. It's not like you have to make a leap. You don't have to subscribe to some kind of new age speak that maybe doesn't land for you. This is just evidence supported facts. We get better. That's so much a part of what you guys are doing too at, at the Modern Elder Academy. It's about that connection, that community, that purpose and empowerment. You're starting a second campus, I think, next year in Santa Fe. So it's the first one in the United States, which will be awesome. If people can't get to Mexico, this will be fantastic that they can go there. Christine, as you look back over your career journey, what does living your best life mean to you today? For me, it's values-based and lifestyle-based. Luxury hospitality on the surface may not look like something that's serving the world in a deep way, but I believe that any business can be operated in a way that can create deep, positive change in the place that it operates. So we actually run MEA on a platform of regeneration. We have five pillars Mm -hmm. of this regenerative thinking. Soul, which is the individual work that we're doing, Soil, we are actually actively involved in regenerating soil in both projects, both in Baja and in Santa Fe. Locale has to do with the way that we operate those businesses and the impact that we have on the communities where we operate. Community, we're rebuilding or helping people to reconnect and rebuild community because belonging is so important. And then purpose, helping people recognize and reconnect to their own purpose. So those five pillars are what guide us on everything that we do. And I've tried to weave that idea of regenerating locale into my work wherever I can, because we can change. And these things that might seem like micro changes, you know, addressing food insecurity in the places where you work, those are ground shaking changes that any business can commit to, you know, so... I think for me, when I look at what does success mean for me, where do I feel like I'm living my best life? I'm both being true to my values around the impact that business can have and then being true to myself about the importance that play and making time to still get out on my snowboard and be with the people I love. (laughs) That makes a best life package for me. I was hoping you were going to say that you're still snowboarding. (laughs) I know that you've had some injuries along the way and yoga's helped you through all of that, but I'm glad you're still getting out on the slope. That's fantastic. If you'd like to learn more about the Modern Elder Academy and the work that Christine and her great team are doing, just go to their website, which is modernelderacademy.com. And we will also have that in our show notes for you. Christine, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I I love your spirit of adventure. And also that the work that you guys are doing, you're offering experiences to people and the chance for them to truly change their lives and make those transitions so much more lovely and easier to get through. So thank you for all of that. Liz, thank you for having me. Thanks for great questions. You're welcome. And thanks to all of you for joining us today. And remember, the power is in you. Change your mindset, change your life, and live your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.